this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We pray that as we open your word, you would speak to us, lead us, enable us to look more like Jesus when we're done than we were at the beginning. We pray in Jesus' name, the name above all names. Amen. Well, I have to confess, Pastor Lord has nothing to do with my wardrobe selections. They are all my own, and I am proud of them. Thank you, Steve. Speaking as an equally subdued dresser. Now, this morning I'm going to introduce you to a, what may be a strange term, an unusual term for you. So I just want you to bear with me for a little bit. Here's the word. Hold on to it tightly. The word is computer. Computer. Now, you may not be familiar with these devices, but they, are, they look a little bit like a typewriter that's kind of overgrown itself with this keyboard thing in front of it. And behind all that stuff, there's a collection of numbers, really, just zeros and ones. And those numbers, those zeros and ones, move information along more quickly than a human brain does. And therefore, at least theoretically, if you operate a computer, you can accomplish more quickly than you would if you are just doing it on your own. So this word computer is a word that's going to be important to us as we deal with this message this morning. Inside every computer is a thing called an operating system. The operating system is what makes everything else happen on the computer. When uh, we first came here, I bought a new lap. It had a laptop. A laptop is a computer that you can carry around with you. I uh, got a new laptop, and it had the operating system Windows 10 on it. Windows 10 is Bill Gates' company's latest effort to ramp up expectations about how operating systems should work. I can remember back at the turn of this century, back in the year 1999, I was just graduating from high school, and uh, Bill Gates came out with Windows Millennium operating system. Now, Millennium was supposed to be an anticipation of the new um, century that was upon us, but really what Millennium stood for was the program crashed about a thousand times per day. So, operating systems. Now, I'm a Windows person, um, Windows computer kind of person. There are other people who are Mac people. They are interesting people, but I am not one of those people. But even Mac computers have an operating system in it, the thing that makes everything go. You and I, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we, as Christians, we too have an operating system. It's the way that we connect with each other. It's the thing that makes everything else possible and everything else happen the way God has designed for it to happen. And the Apostle Paul, in the passage we're going to unpack here in just a minute, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, and first couple of verses in, first 13, in chapter 13, he unfolds what I'm going to call this morning the BOS, the Believer's Operating System. So... Uh, if you have your Bible app on your phone, or if you can look up on the screen, or if you're at home watching on the computer, the Bible translations are just to the right of the picture. I'm going to read this morning Paul's really encapsulated summary of this believer's operating system. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 31, really the second part of verse 31, goes like this. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, whenever we look at a biblical passage, the first thing we have to understand is the context. And there are three, uh, three rules for interpreting any Bible passage. The three rules are this. Ready? Context, context, context. We have to know where in the book in the Bible this passage comes. We have to know where in the general teaching of the Scripture this particular book lands. And we have to understand a little bit about the day and time in which the Holy Spirit inspired these people to write these particular um, portions of Scripture. Here, the context is chapters 12 through 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is unpacking what he calls spiritual gifts. That is, every Christian has been empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit in a specific way to act on behalf of the well-being of the entirety of of the Christian family. So uh, the chapter 12 starts that conversation. Chapter 14 finishes off that conversation. He's framing the conversation for us. So way back at the beginning of chapter 12 in verse 7, Paul says this. He says, Now to each one, each believer in Jesus, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So that means if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. We have a spiritual gift. But they're not for us. Right? You open up your presents on Christmas morning or on your birthday or whatever, and you open them up and you're celebratory about it, and you say, oh, this is mine, I love this, thank you so much. But in the body of Christ, spiritual gifts are presents that we unwrap that are really for everybody else. So he starts off chapter 12 talking about spiritual gifts in that way. And at the end of chapter 14, he's going to wrap up the conversation about spiritual gifts because, by saying these words. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So what Paul was doing here was kind of adjusting the mechanics of the operating of the spiritual gifts. But in the middle of this passage, chapters 12, 13, and 14, in the middle... Paul kind of breaks off his discussion about the mechanics and the purpose of the spiritual gifts, and he talks about the operating system for those gifts, the believer's operating system. What is that operating system? In English, it's a four-letter word. The word is love, L-O-V-E. But in the Bible... Uh, there are very, very specific words for love, and they, they, are, they act out in different circumstances. And this word here that the Apostle, uses, that the Apostle Paul uses for love is, is a translation of the Greek New Testament term agape, agape love. This love we need to define a little bit in order to understand it. Because you and I, in English, we toss around the word love about all kinds of things. It's summertime, and if you were in New England, if you go there now, you're going to have to quarantine when you come back. But if you were in New England in the, in the summertime, you could go to an ice cream stand, and you could order purple cow ice cream. It's delicious. 
It's flat raspberry ice cream, uh, uh, infiltrated with chocolate chips and white chocolate chips. It's absolutely delicious. I love purple cow ice cream. I also love Pastor Laura. But when I use those words, we're all hoping that I mean something different when I say I love purple cow ice cream than when I say I love Pastor Laura. It's not the same thing. So in English, the word love has this range of meanings. In the language of the New Testament, there were specific words for love in specific contexts. And this word here that Apostle Paul uses is a word that means self-sacrifice, giving over working in the best interest of other people, agape love. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the old apostle John says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, right? You get it. He's not talking about purple cow ice cream. Nobody's going to lay down their life for purple cow ice cream, as delicious as it is. But for believers in the body of Christ, that kind of love is the kind of love Paul talks about here. And then so in chapter 12, back in 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 31, he calls it the most excellent way. This love is not self-centered. It is other-centered. It has to do with the focus of attention. I was driving around a little while back, and I pulled up at a stoplight behind a car, and on this very one car, there were bumper stickers, bumper stickers, two bumper stickers on this same car. One bumper sticker said, be nasty. The other bumper sticker said, do good most of the time. I'm thinking there might be a slight disconnect between those two messages. And those messages don't come close to what the Apostle Paul is talking about here when he says we should love with this agape kind of love. This love that he's talking about here is not emotion-driven. It is intentional decision-making that results in action. It is actions taken on behalf of others, acting in their best interest. Most of the time, when the New Testament is talking about love, that's what it's talking about. Now, I know many of you out there have been uh, married for a long time, or you, you were married for a long time, and you can remember those first kind of emotional uh, stirrings in your soul when you first encountered your spouse the first time. You can remember that, can't you, speak? The correct answer is yes. Yes. Yes, all right. So... That's an interesting kind of love, and it's the kind of love that generates attraction, but that's not exactly what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about love that's willing to act in another person's best interest. When I was in the military, I had a boss uh, whose name was Tom Patimerme. We tried to make fun of his name, but it was just too stinking complicated. One time, he said to me, Howard, I'm going to be on leave for a couple of weeks. I need you to kind of keep an eye on what's going on around here. Sure, sir, no problem. He was a full colonel. I was a major. Sir was his first name as far as I was concerned. No problem. I said, what, what are you doing? Uh, he said, no, don't worry about it. I'm just going to be away for a couple of weeks. All right, fine. Well, it turns out he went away for a couple of weeks so that he could go into the hospital and have surgery to donate a kidney to his brother. That, folks, is self-sacrificial love. That's 
what it looks like. He told me a story later. He, you know, the recovery from taking the kidney out is not quite as long as the recovery from putting the kidney back in. And so he got up from his hospital bed and he went to ICU to see his brother. And the nurse said to him, I'm sorry, sir, you can't uh, go in there. And he, Tom, oh, Tom Pertimer may said, listen, that's my kidney in there. I'm going to go see it. That's about my love. This love has nothing to do with whether that person who is the object of the love appears to be worth the effort. It's unconditional. It's a call to extend love to the unlovely. Who would do that? Jesus did it all the time. And he calls us to do it as well. A store owner was tacking a sign above his door that read, Puppies for Sale. Signs like that, they have a way of attracting small children. And sure enough, a little boy appeared under the store owner's sign. And he said, how much are you going to sell the puppies for? The store owner replied, anywhere from $30 to $50. The little boy reached into his pocket and he pulled out everything he had. It was $2.37. He said, can I look at them? So the store owner smiled and whistled, and out of the kennel comes this, uh, this pooch named Lady, and right behind the pooch named Lady are these five teeny tiny balls of fur just running to try to keep up with her. But one puppy was lagging considerably behind. So the little boy, right away, he singles out that one lagging, limping puppy and said, what's wrong with that little dog? The store owner explained that the vet had come and examined the little puppy and discovered that the puppy didn't have a hip socket in its back right, where it should be in its back right hind quarters. It would always, always, always limp. It would always be lame. The little boy gets really excited. He says, that's the puppy I want to buy. The store owner said, no, no, son, you don't want to buy that little dog. If you really want him, I'll, I'll just give him to you. The little boy got mad. He looked straight into the store owner's eyes and he said, pointing his finger, he said, I don't want you to give him to me. That little dog is worth every bit as much as those other puppies, and I'll pay full price. In fact, I'll give you my $2.37 now and 50 cents a month until I pay for it. The store owner says, you really don't have to buy this little dog. He's never going to be able to run and jump and play with you like the other puppies. And so to the store owner's surprise, the little boy reaches down and he rolls up his pant leg and guess what? He's got a big metal brace supporting his crooked leg. So he looks up at the store owner and he says, well, I don't run so well myself. And the little puppy will need someone who understands. Who does that kind of love? Who does that? Jesus does. Jesus entered into the crippling condition of humanity to save all of us who are crippled by sin. We may not look like it, but in our spirits we are hobbled and crippled and limping with sin. So, Paul then in this passage, he gives us some illustrations of the value of the gifts of the Spirit and actions without love. So here's the spiritual gift subtracted out is love. Paul, by the way, when he does this, he focuses on the spiritual gifts that the people in the Corinthian church in that day and time thought were cool. Um, 
By the way, an aside on the cool kids. In the kingdom of God, there's only one cool kid. That's Jesus. The rest of us are sponsored in by the cool one. So, we might all have different ideas about the desirable gifts. But Paul highlights a couple, of, a couple, three of them here. And again, he's doing this to talk about what they look like when they're not being operated with the believer's operating system. Love. In chapter 13, verse 1, he talks about powerful speech. And Paul says, if you don't have love when you're speaking, if you don't have that agape, other-centered love when you're speaking, it is just noise, and it's loud, and it's annoying, right? So, this is a bell, and this is a tambourine. If you use a bell, and you train well to it, and you bring it when it's supposed to, it's nice. If you have rhythm, theoretically, if you had rhythm, and you had a tambourine, and you were beating to the time of the music, that's all right. You started the death force last week. But if this is going on, nobody wants to hear that. And that's what Paul says about speech. Even if it's powerful speech, if it's not given with love, it's just noise. In chapter 13, verse 2, he talks about uh, prophecy, which is the ability to see things happening and to proclaim truth. And he says that love is the activating ingredient in proclaiming truth in a way that people will resonate with. It's a cliche because it is true. Folks do not, know how, do not care how much we know until they know how much we care. And then faith in this chapter, believing God for Great things. I love this story. Let me share this with you. Um, 1976 and 1984, again, I was just a toddler in those years, but you might remember them yourselves. There was an Olympic gold medalist whose name was Daryl Pace, and he was an Olympic gold medalist in archery. So he got to New York City's uh, Central Park, and he's going to give an archery exhibition. And uh, the event, of course, was going to be covered by all the local news stations in our day and time. They'd be cameras whipped out all over the place, flashing it on every sort of social media opportunity. But in that day and time, as I understand it from the history books, we didn't have all those kinds of social media opportunities. So he was shooting steel-tipped hunting arrows. And he repeatedly punctured the bullseye on those targets without missing a beat. And then he called for a volunteer. And so this uh, ABC correspondent who was getting the look from his camera person stepped up and said, okay, I'll volunteer. And so the archer, Daryl Pace, he says, all you have to do is hold this apple in your hand, waist all you have to do. And so he stood there, a small apple in his hand, and a giant lump of an apple in his throat. From 30 yards away, Daryl Pace takes aim, lets the arrow fly, and whack! It goes right through the apple and pins the arrow to the target behind him. A clean hit. The apple explodes. Everybody applauds except the you know, the ABC correspondent who just was overcome with relief. But at this point, the cameraman walked up to the ABC correspondent and kind of looking a little, you know, despondent. And he says, I'm, I'm really sorry, Josh. I didn't get the shot. 
I had a little trouble with my viewfinder, so would you mind doing that again? Faith. Placed in a person with great skill is just a slightly small and imperfect picture of the kind of faith that we're called to exercise in God's work in Christ. The writer of Hebrews calls it being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. So having the gift of faith is a wonderful thing, but if it's used without love, it doesn't matter. And then Paul says even in this chapter 13, verse 3, he he talks about even heroic self-sacrifice. He says without love, it's, it's nothing. So you and I, we can fill in the blank with anything that we think is a powerful representation of the Spirit of God in our lives, any particular spiritual gift. It can be preaching and teaching or music or sharing the gospel and evangelism, service, uh, giving generously out of our finances. Every one of those things is not what it's designed to be if it's not functioning in accordance with the believer's operating system. Now, It's possible, it's possible for me, to look at this expectation about self-sacrificial love and say, you know what, that is just too stinking hard to do. Dish me up some purple cow ice cream and I will love that. What do we need? What do we need? We need a heart transplant. Again, it was back in last century, in 1967. Again, I read about this in the history books. I was amazed when I read it in the history books. Apparently, a physician in Cape Town, South Africa, Dr. Christian Barnard, performed the first successful human heart transplant. The recipient was a guy named Louis Wyszkonski. At the end of that operation, Louis had a, had a functioning, operating, healthy human heart of the physical kind. But Jesus comes along, and he's been in the heart transplant business way longer than Dr. Barnard was. But he's in the spiritual heart transplant business. It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself, sometimes. Sometimes our neighbors aren't all that lovable. Sometimes our neighbors would probably say, we're not all that lovable. Shock and surprise. It's hard. And if we try to do it in our own effort, it's impossible. But with this spiritual heart transplant, with embracing embracing Jesus Christ in faith as as the cure for the crippling nature of sin in, in us, Operating in the realm of his spirit, you and I, you and I, we can work in the middle of the believer's operating system. So what is our operating system today as we relate to other people? Is it agape love? Is it that really, no kidding, absolutely focused on the other person kind of love? Let's hope so. And if it's not, let's pray that God will bring us to that place as Christ works in us and through us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us.